Welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, I actually have uh, a really good family friend, somebody who is extremely brilliant. I think we're going to have a lot of fun on this show. I've, I've been looking forward to this in the new year, none other than Charles Charlie Pierce. How are you feeling today, Charlie? How are you doing, Bakari? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So we start each one of our episodes by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. Uh, and I'll have to admit, yours may be the most fa- fascinating because I think you're the first guest who was actually a forest ranger. Welcome. I was. Yeah, when yeah. I was in, in college, I did three summers at Douglas State Forest in Massachusetts. Well, and it was various it was, stops. Take, take me through your various stops. From well, I mean, I, I, I went to the you know, I went, I went to uh, I went to Marquette University where I majored in journalism. Uh, I don't normally see that. That's very special because I don't normally admit to that. But anyway, in the summers, I worked at the state park, uh, after which I spent a year and a half uh, trying to get Mo Udall elected president in 1976. Uh, you know, obviously, you remember President Udall, so we were very successful. Uh, and then I, I, a couple of guys started an alternative newspaper called Worcester Magazine mm-hmm. in my hometown at, in back in Massachusetts. And I went there and I was there, the only writer they had for the better part of two years, after which I moved on and spent five years, five tremendous years at the Boston Phoenix. The, uh, you know, it was a very prominent alternative weekly. Uh, people, the alternative, you know, the, the Internet's been, been really bad on the alternative press, but the Phoenix was just a tremendous place to uh, to uh, work and uh, learn your, basically, you know, become a generalist and learn your chops. Plus I was working with enormously talented people. Uh, you know, three or four of the most prominent movie critics in, in the country. Uh, Michael Resendez, who Mark Ruffalo played in the movie Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Michael and I started at the Phoenix on virtually the same day. Uh, he's one of my oldest friends in the business. Uh, after which uh, I went and worked for the Boston Herald as a sports writer and a sports columnist for six or seven years, six, uh, six years, I guess, uh, columnist for the last three. Uh, so I did take a paycheck from Rupert Murdoch for, you know, six, six years. Uh, it, it cashed just as well as anybody's money did. <laughs> At which point I got an invitation to join something called the National Sports Daily, which was an attempt by a Mexican billionaire named Emilio Oscaraga to do an all sports daily newspaper in the United States. Uh, I got that got me back into writing long form uh, journalism again, which is really what I wanted to do. Uh, and, you know, I, that we only last, I mean, he was in for a draw of $150 million over, I think, 10 years. And we went through $150 million in a year and a half. So we folded. Uh, one of my editors there was a great guy named David Granger and he moved on to GQ and brought me along with him. And I wrote a sports column, uh, every month for GQ, uh, uh, for six years. Yeah. Six or seven years. And then David took the editor in chief job at Esquire and brought a whole bunch of us, Tom Juneau and Cal Fussman and Chris Jones and me and, uh, Scott Rabb and a whole bunch of us over there as kind of his stable of writers when he took over. 
And I worked there until 2002 when I took a job writing for the, for the Boston Globe Sunday magazine, uh, where I worked for nine years. I worked there longer than I worked anywhere else. Uh, and then I got a, an offer to come back to Esquire to do the political blog, uh, which is you know basically what I did. And I also picked up a contract with uh, Grantland, the uh, departed sports illustrator, uh, sports uh, website that Bill Simmons ran out of ESPN. And that's pretty much where I am now. Uh, talk, about, talk about that beat at Esquire, though. Like uh, for a guy who could probably write about anything, why national politics? Other than they give you a shit ton to talk about. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I was I actually and this is my one of my first lessons in the Internet, along with the fact that all my editors were going to be 25 years old now. Uh, I and I I sold that because all the people at Esquire who I knew uh, follow my Facebook feed, and someday one day at some staff meeting I don't know who brought it up, they said, you know what we really need is a political blog, and they said why don't you just publish Charlie's Facebook feed, and they came back and and offered me this blog and I. You know, I had luckily I had a couple of a couple of very young editors who knew what they were doing and nursed me through the start of it. And, you know, in 2011, uh, you know, I started and I went through the campaign, uh, President Obama's you know, re-election campaign. And then, you know, the roof, <laughs> the roof fell in in 2016. And I've been there ever since. So, I mean, I did national politics and local politics when I was at the Phoenix long ago. Uh, I covered the 1980. My baptism of fire was the 1980 presidential campaign. Uh, I covered the Republican side of that, uh, which was John Anderson and Poppy Bush and and Reagan. Uh, and that was, and I really enjoyed doing it. And of course, covering politics in Massachusetts is just a whole lot of fun. I mean, state politics is just a it's a great learning experience on various forms of chicanery. So I did that, and. You know, I, I was sort of getting back to what I was doing. I had done a couple of freelance political pieces uh, for Esquire before I went to the Globe. Uh, and I did a couple of, of political pieces when I was at the Globe. Uh, so I was never, my hand was never really out of it uh, for any length of time. It was, you know, I had one of my two, uh, those are my two enthusiasms, basically. <laughs> so let's let's jump into this. Let's, let's start with Merrick Garland, because I believe the, President Biden literally gave him no choice. And I think he's actually doing a decent job. I'm one of the few people um, who can say that. But can you explain what's happening with Merrick Garland and him appointing a special counsel to investigate President Biden? Well, I, you know, I, I, I was with you with him. First of all, there are other parts of the Justice Department that are doing a great job. The Civil, the Civil Rights, Rights Division, Division is really, <laughs> I mean, you're, they're back with a vengeance now. And that's good to see because, you know, we went through, uh, you know, well, who knew? So I, I don't even know if I don't even know if there was anybody working there under the last guy. But that's really come back. Uh, he's obviously done a good job chasing down the grunts from January 6th. But I am running out of patience on the, the, the elected half of the insurrection. I'm not even just talking about the former president. I'm talking about his enablers in Congress. Uh, the finagling they all did in Georgia. Uh, and I am running out of patience on that. I, I think he appointed the special counsel in the Biden case and did so so quickly because he knows there's nothing there. 
and he and his special counsel will clear that deck fairly quickly. But as to the other stuff, I think he's just, I don't know if he truly has a grasp of how vast and powerful the threat to the Republic really is from the Republican Party and the, the movement, conservative, the conservative movement that, in, you know, uh, energizes it. So contrast I mean, it's touching everything now. We've got people taking pot shots at county commissioners in New Mexico because they lost an election. Yeah, I saw that. That was insane. Contrast the Biden classified documents issue with what we saw from President Trump. Well, first of all, Biden, um, first of all, everybody who works the White House up to the president from now on, don't take classified documents home. Just read them where you're supposed to read them and leave them there. It's just too much of a hassle. I don't know why people do it anyway. I honestly, God, believe that Biden didn't know he had those. And as soon as they found them, they handed them over and the National Archives said, OK, fine, we're even. Uh, and of course, Trump, you know, locked them up in his pool shed with no security and lied about having them and then stonewalled as best he could. And then finally, the National, Ar National Archives called in the FBI. That's a, a order of magnitude difference. I mean, I, I and I think that there's a great deal of obstruction going on. And I think that some of the lawyers involved in that are going to have their own issues as well. You know, I, I find it to be quite difficult. And I think Merrick Garland is going to struggle with this, to your point. Um, I think that Trump's biggest issues that he's going to have are both in Georgia and the classified documents. Garland strikes me as the kind of guy who might also hold off on an indictment if Trump is the Republican nominee because it can skew the election what do you think? I mean, what feeling do you get? I mean, I, I do think he takes that into consideration. I wish he didn't because I don't care if you are, you know, if you're a presidential nominee, can you run over somebody with a car? I mean, can you, you know, can, can you, can you blow them away? Cause you don't like the way your cheeseburger was, was, was cooked. I mean, you're presidential candidate. So what you still gotta, you still can't break the law. Uh, I do think that he's, I do think Fannie Willis wants his head on the wall of her den. Uh, and uh, I'm not, I'm less sure of New York than I used to be, but I do think he's, I think he's in big trouble in Georgia. And if he's not in big trouble, a lot of the people around him are. Now, whether they give him up is a whole nother, is a whole nother thing. But I mean, as I said, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for somebody with actual power or who had actual power and actual influence over the events after the election to get indicted. And Meadows, Graham, Rudy, uh, a couple of the crazy lawyers, uh, anybody, you know, involved in, in the, the, you know, the white shoe end of that insurrection. Uh, and I, I agree with you. I, I think if, if Fannie Willis were to indict Trump, I think Garland would hold off in that case. But I think ultimately you're right. I think, you know, I think the closer we get to, to, to the campaign season starting, which I you know, guess would be in December of this year, uh, I think he will hold off. And I think that would be unfortunate. What's going to happen with the work the January 6th committee did? Will it actually result in anything? And by anything, I mean, people going to jail because of their work, particularly Donald Trump? Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the DOJ has all their stuff. I think they're releasing the stuff very shrewdly. Uh, I think they did a great job 
you know, putting the, you know, putting the facts before the candid world, as they say in the Declaration of Independence, you know, and I think basically they, that was their, their brief really was to show the country what happened. They didn't have any, any real law enforcement power. Uh, and, you know, at, at the job of putting the facts before the country in a dignified and lucid manner, they did a great job. And I give not only Lynch, I give Benny Thompson a lot of credit for keeping that. You know, he kept that ship on course at the same time he was trying to get, you know, his constituents clean water to drink in Mississippi. Yeah. He had a lot in his plate going on there. Yeah. How would you grade Mary Garland so far? I give him a, I give him a solid B minus. I mean, I, I'm very, I'm so impressed by the work of the Civil Rights Division that I'm, I'm going to boost his grade a little bit. I mean, I think people have got to realize he's got more on his, he's got more going on than just the Trump stuff. Uh, I give him, I give him a, 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 a gentleman C on the Trump stuff, but uh, I give him a little, B, I give him a little, I give him a decent B minus on everything else. Well, let's move a little bit to this Congress, which you're going to have a great deal to write about because of uh, the House Republicans. We saw chaos associated with the Republicans electing their leadership. So if you can forecast for us the chaos we should expect this year from House Republicans, how many government shutdowns, et cetera. Give me your outline of chaos coming from the United States House of Representatives. Well, uh, first of all, the investigations are going to be just wild. I mean, between Jim Jordan as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee and Jim Comer as the chairman of the Oversight Committee, plus this whatever this committee on demon and committee on on weaponization of government agencies is going to be. And I don't even want to guess what they're going to be up to. Uh, I think it, I, I think that the, there's a possibility that the committee structure may just you know, end up in a four car collision at the, at the crossroads, you know, they may just step on each other's feet. As far as the fiscal stuff, I'm genuinely, I am genuinely worried about, uh, about their willingness to, you know, risk, risk the debt ceiling, uh, unless they get massive cuts that will never get through the Senate, uh, and certainly would never get past the president's desk. Uh, I think the best you can hope for from that bunch of clowns is paralysis. And that's not a terrific thing. I mean, you're seeing right now, you know, they've got, they've got, you know, George Santos, the man who wasn't there, they can't do anything about him. They throw him out and their margin goes down to three votes. (laughs) And that's, you know, and, and, and Kevin McCarthy is already guaranteed that any member of the house can ask for him to be, to be fired. Uh, you know, given what he agreed to, you know, that, that vacate the chair thing. Uh, so no, I think, I think you're going to, I think you're going to look at, I think you're looking at the wild kingdom for two years. I really do. Uh, I don't have a, you know, know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be Hunter Biden. I wouldn't want to be Mayorkas. I wouldn't want to be Anthony Fauci because, (laughs) you know, you just, I mean, there are people who've been gunning for you guys for three years now. Uh, and obviously, you know, the, the truth of the allegations means nothing to these people. So uh, let's go to some more chaos, but this time on the Democratic side. My first question is, should Joe Biden run for re-election? Yes. My second, my second question, is, well, 
let's say he doesn't. I'm with oh, you. Oh, boy. You, uh, you, now you're going to ask me who should, right? Well, I am think the chaos. What does it look like? Oh, I, I mean, I well, I mean, I think you're asking for another cavalry charge. Uh, I think I think Pete Buttigieg would be tempted again. Uh, I'm, I don't think Elizabeth Warren's going to make another run. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Uh, I would I will. I'll tell you the honest to God truth. I will. I, I wouldn't mind seeing the true badass Gretchen Whitmer make, Whitmer make a run for it. I mean, that is a that is a tough governor. You want to talk about, you know, Ron DeSantis proving himself to be presidential timber. He's only presidential timber because his party's out of its mind. Yeah. Gretchen Whitmer's the real deal. I mean, this woman stuck to her guns literally when people were trying to kidnap her. Although I see now that uh, I see now that Jim Jordan's going to examine the fact that the FBI set those guys up. That's going to be something he looks into, apparently. But I think she's a I think she's a real star. Uh, you know, she's a, a, a you know, two time governor of an industrial state. Uh, you know, solid on, you know, solid on the Democratic issues. I think, you know, she can maintain an equilibrium between both ends of the party. Uh, other than that, you know, your guess, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think Gavin Newsom's probably thinking about it, but I don't think he's going to run. Uh, you may get one of the Castro brothers. Uh, you know, is it, 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 I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's anybody in the house really. I think like, Hakeem, you know, Hakeem Jeffries wants to be speaker, I think, and he's going to wait two years for that. And hope for the best, uh, but you know, I do you have anybody that, that Kamala Harris. I mean, I think that the same same uh, credentials that Joe Biden runs on re-election with Kamala Harris would be great. I think Mitch Landrieu is a dark horse, but I think that although I love Kamala, I think she'd be number one. I think the person who has the ability to sneak up on everybody is Raphael Warnock. Wow, really. Uh, he's a good campaigner. There's no question. I'm, I mean, I will be interested to see if Kamala Harris, excuse me, Vice President Harris, I don't want to get too familiar, if she's freed up to go be herself more now that she doesn't have to break all the ties in the Senate. I hope so. I mean, I, and I, I think mean, that, that, may, own... that may allow her to get the hell out of Washington and she's and been go able do to what do she can do. She was able to do that in leading up to the she was I mean, she and Barack Obama were arguably our best surrogates. Yeah, uh, and, and she showed what she could do. Yeah. Uh but now she doesn't have to be around as much. Certainly. You know, she she doesn't have to be, you know, every every year, you know, on nominations and stuff. She doesn't have to, you know, the odds are pretty good that she doesn't have to be in Washington for them. That's actually and, a good point. I mean, I think, you know, I think that she's, you know, I think she was a little bit chained to that chair. I mean, I don't I don't know if she holds the record for the number of times breaking a tie in the Senate, but I'm fairly sure that she broke more ties on important issues than any other vice president, certainly in my lifetime. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Let me ask you just a couple more questions before I get you out of here so you can go back and intrigue us with more of your Esquire writing. Okay. But we have an interesting Senate race shaping up, and you've written about Katie Porter what have you seen from her launch? And then what do you make about two Titans? I mean, that would be the best race I think I've ever seen. Katie Porter versus Barbara Lee. Yeah, Barbara Lee and Adam Schiff, maybe. 
Yeah, uh, I don't think I don't think Adam stands a chance with those two ladies. But. No, no, I don't. I don't either. But I'm. But it, you know, there there'd be a an interesting splinter of votes that he gets. Uh, I I thought Katie Porter's launch was terrible. Uh, I thought she handled the whole. Uh, I'm running whether Feinstein runs or not thing very badly. I thought her announcement video looked like a a C plus audio visual. Uh, presentation from somebody's sophomore year in high school uh but that all that having been said she if i lived in california that's who i'd vote for i think she'd be a terrific senator uh i think barbara lee would be a terrific senator and god knows i mean she's she has in her portfolio probably the bravest voice the bravest vote of the last 30 years no question which was her vote against the AUMMF after 9-11. I mean, you talk about being foresighted. My goodness. Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody went in the tank on that vote, except her. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm frankly a little surprised that she, you know, she'd go for it. I mean, she's, she's 70, right? Barbara Lee is. I, I don't yeah. want to guess her age, because if I miss it, she's going to remind me of it. <laughs> No, I think I think she'd be a great senator. Uh, I didn't I didn't see her coming at all. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that Bar- would be a, Barbara that would Lee be a, is Barbara Lee is seventy six. Yeah. Uh, so she's eighty two if she elects if she gets elected and serves out her term. Uh, you know, coming after Diane Feinstein that's that's a lot of years. But I think certainly she's earned a shot. Uh, and. I th- you're right. I think that would be a hell of a campaign. Uh, I think California could be proud of that. Uh, but uh, I, I, honestly, I mean, I, I mean, I think you know, I think I think the debate. I'd certainly be on. I'd be on C-SPAN for the debates. There's no question. <laughs> Look, Charlie, I love talking to you. I can talk to you all day. Tell people how they can follow you on. Uh, you can follow me at Charles P. Pierce on Twitter and Instagram, and the politics blog is esquire.com i appreciate you we're going to have you on again in fact some of our live shows around campaign season we're going to have you on so we can just talk together maybe even do it in person i love you charlie have a great day that'd be great picari like i said have a happy new year